morning, happy Easter, and welcome to Alger Assembly of God. We're glad that you have chosen to worship with us and to celebrate Easter Sunday morning with us. You know, in, in a day like today, in, in a crowd like today, there's probably several reasons why maybe you've come and, and worshiped and joined in with us. Certainly, many of you uh, uh, have a relationship with God. You're, you're here as a Christian. You're here to worship. You're here to celebrate the risen Savior. Maybe there's some of you that are here with us today, and maybe you're a little, little bit uh, skeptical, or a little bit questioning, or a little bit of just seeking or wondering what God might have for you and for your life, what Easter is all about, and what the message of hope is. In Easter is all about. And perhaps there's a, there's a third group of you, and you came, you thought we were giving out chocolate bunnies today. Well, we, we do have some gifts to give out to you. Each of you will go home with a little something today. Maybe not chocolate bunnies, but we are glad that you are worshiping with us. No matter why you are here, how you got here, we are glad that you are here. This morning, uh, the message is entitled, The Hope of Easter, the hope of Easter. So we were sharing a little bit yesterday, the hope of Easter is, is not about finding that perfect egg or finding and encountering the perfect candy inside your egg, not about finding that perfect chocolate bunny or going home with the perfect basket or uh, the perfect gift. There's a lot of things that we hope for. Those might be some of them. But the true hope of Easter, it's found in a perfect Savior loving imperfect people like each and every one of us. The hope of Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, hope is more than wishful thinking. Hope is more than longing for something that may or may not be fulfilled. We all have hopes and dreams about a lot of things. You might hope that that special outfit goes on sale at 99% off and that you can pick it up before somebody else does. You might hope that your boss calls you into the office and says that they're about ready to triple your salary. We can hope. You can hope that the Cleveland Browns... I didn't even get there yet. You're already hoping. Now, me personally, I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan, and I've got my own set of hopes, but, but maybe, you know, in this area, and many of you are, are Cleveland Browns fans, and, you know... You need some hope to hold on to that maybe this is the year. I mean, Chicago Cubs baseball fans celebrated a World Series last year. It's been so long for them. So whatever it might be, you and I, we've got hopes, we've got dreams, we've got wishes, and hope is so much more than that. And in the Word of God, hope is expecting with confidence, expecting with confidence, and the reason is it's who the hope is in. We can expect with confidence 
when something is built upon, based upon, and the foundation is God himself. Now, when we hope upon hope for that sale of an item or hope upon hope for a boss and a raise or hope upon hope for the Cleveland Browns, we have to factor in who that hope is in. And in each of those cases, we're not quite sure, but we know for sure that they're not as trustworthy, dependable as our God in heaven. So we can have hope found in Him, expecting with confidence. And so the hope of Easter is founded upon Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you've got your copy of the Word of God, whether it's in paper form and digital form on phone or tablet, I invite you to turn with me to Mark chapter 16. We're going to look through a number of verses in this chapter looking to explore the hope of Easter. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. Let's stop right there and just, just as an aside here, understand that God's timing is perfect. There's a couple elements of timing in here. We're seeing that they're going on the first day of the week. They're going just after sunrise. And so the events that they're about to take part in are all here under the hand and timing of God. I want to encourage us to make sure that we rest in the hand and timing of God. I don't believe that it's an accident that you're here with us, that you're worshiping with us today. God's hand, God's timing, I want to encourage you to get ready to experience the hope of Easter. First of all, the hope of Easter is this, that God answers our questions. So we continue reading, it says that these women, they were on their way to the tomb, verse 3, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? God answers our questions. How many of you know that kids have lots of questions? You've got kids, you've got grandkids. Uh, you're hearing lots and lots of questions. Most of them are three letters long, right? Why? They'll ask you a question, you answer and you feel pretty good about yourself as a parent or grandparent. And then the follow-up is, but why? Well, a father and son went fishing one day. After spending a couple of hours together out on the boat, the boy suddenly became curious about the outside world around him. So he asked his father, Daddy, how does this boat float? The father thought for a moment, then replied, I don't rightly know, son. The boy returned to his contemplation and then a few minutes later turned around and asked his father, well, how do fish breathe underwater? Once again, the father replied, I don't rightly know, son. A little bit later, the boy came up with another question and asked his father, 
He said, Dad, why is the sky blue? And yet again, the father answered, I don't rightly know, son. Worried he was about to annoy his father, the, the boy said, Daddy, do you mind me asking you all of these questions? The father said, well, of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, you'll never get the answers. You'll never learn nothing. Of course, he wasn't getting too many answers as it was. Now, we look at kids and we say, kids have lots and lots of questions. You and I, I bet we've got lots of questions about stuff. We've got questions about God, questions about faith, questions about our family or finances, questions about our job and workplace. We've got questions about this world in which we live in. I've got good news for you, though. The good news is that there's a God who has the answers for you. Now, these women were on their way to the tomb, and the question was, who in the world is going to roll away this stone? Keep reading here in verse 4. It says, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Our God is a powerful, is a risen Savior, and in fact had answered their question even before they had asked it. Isn't that powerful? For God to answer a question before it is asked. Reminds me, well, reminds me about Kim and I and how we met. We met at historic Big Prairie Camp, church camp. And I was, I was a, a guest speaker that year at camp. And in the, in the course of that week, uh, I had met Kim and and. Over the course of that week, it felt like God was doing something and, and maybe both of our lives, but there was questions there about, was this really God? And we'll fast forward to the, to the last day of camp, and I'm preaching. I am preaching up a storm. Whether I was or not, that's the way I remember it. So I'm, I'm preaching. We're giving a, an altar time and prayer time. And after, after that that time, you know, kind of the responsibilities as a, as a speaker had ended, and I'm just kind of there in, in God's presence. And I had some questions for God, and, and I went to God, and I said, God, I'm, I'm not sure. Is this something that I should pursue, this, this relationship? It feels like you're, you're doing something in her heart and in my heart, but I want to know it's you, and I've got questions, God. Well, I thought I had a way for an answer. So I came up with... What sometimes, as Christians, we might call a fleece. You put a fleece out to God and say, God, I want you to do this, and if you do this, then that means yes. None of you probably ever done that, right? Well, I did. I said, all right, God. It feels like there's something going on here. It feels like there's this relationship here, but I've got questions. I want to make sure that I am doing the right thing, following you and your will. She is a, a godly young woman. She loves you. She's not the forward and, you know, kind of lasso the guy kind of woman. I mean, she's a, just a, a godly young woman. So, God, I want you to do something that's totally out of character for her. Here's what I prayed. I said, God, 
Three things. I want her to come over to me. I want her to pray for me. Two. And I want her to have a point of contact. That means physically touch as she prays. Come over to me, pray for me, point of contact. Because I know that's not her. So feeling uh, all good about my little prayer to the Lord, I went off to the corner and prayed. Every so often kind of doing that thing where you sneak your eyes open. She wasn't moving. She was sitting and praying to God or something. Nothing going on. I've got these questions. God, is this you? She wasn't doing a thing. So I was wondering. I was not quite sure. Later that evening, last night of camp, God provided an opportunity, and we began then talking and sharing about our week of camp. God was kind of, kind of bringing the two of us together, and we're, we're sharing about camp and about what God's doing. And, and in the midst of that, I, I sheepishly shared my last day of camp prayer. Kind of, you know, poked fun of myself, at, you know, I, I even offered this prayer because I had questions about whether this was something to continue and to pursue and, and whether God was in this. And I said, you know, I, I made this kind of silly prayer because I knew you'd never do it. And, and I prayed that you'd come over to me, number one. I prayed that you'd pray for me, number two. And I prayed that there'd be a point of contact, number three. And I'm kind of poking fun at myself and kind of chuckling. And she got real quiet, kind of teared up a little bit. She said, let me tell you about something three days ago. She said, in the evening service, after service, you're up front and at the altar, and you're, you're praying for young people, and, and you prayed for a bunch of young people, and, and then you just went and kind of prayed yourself, and, and you went and kneeled and prayed at, at a chair. And she said, I was, I was up there kind of at the front of the altar, and I was, I was close to you, I was near you, he said, I, I kind of felt God speak to my heart, kind of have this nudge that I need to go over to you and I need to pray for you. And she said, there's no way I was just going to go stand up and, and put my hand on and pray. Because I'm thinking to myself, that's entirely not her. As if, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, when I pray this prayer, that she's going to come over to me, you know, put her hand on my head and start praying, in the name of Jesus! Because I would totally not be hurt. That didn't, that didn't happen. So she's feeling God doing something in her heart and in her life, and she felt God say to come over to me, to pray for me, and to connect in some way. And so she said she kind of scooted across the floor until she was right behind where I was praying. And with the wee little pinky of her hand, she stretched her hand out to where like nobody could really see that this is what she was doing. And with the pinky of her hand, she touched, point of contact, the bottom of my shoe. <laughs> so she scooted over to me, point of contact, pinky prayer, and prayed for me. Now, I was the one that was tearing up. As I began to realize, God answered my prayer 
three days before I even prayed it. Wow. God is a powerful, mighty God. And we take a look here at Mark chapter 16, and we see the women with a question saying, what are we going to do? And they show up. God had already taken care of it. God had already answered their questions before they'd even asked, before they'd even presented it. And I'm here to share with you the hope of Easter is that God is able to answer your questions and my questions. He welcomes those. We might not know everything about God's word. We might not know everything about a relationship with God. We might not know all of what God's word teaches. We can ask questions. And in fact, in the book of James, chapter 1, it says, if we lack wisdom, if we lack understanding, we can ask of God. He will give generously to those who ask. Part of the hope of Easter is that God answers our questions. Secondly, part of the hope of Easter is this. God calms our fears. Read with me in verse 5. It says, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Other versions or translations would say they were shocked, they were astonished, they were frightened. Verse 8 mentions they were trembling and bewildered and afraid. There certainly would be a number of reasons to be alarmed, a number of reasons to be a, a little fearful, Right? Just a, a few days earlier, they had witnessed and experienced a bloody crucifixion. Now, yes, it was something that had taken place in those days and times and culture, but that doesn't mean that you just write it off as no big deal. They had witnessed Jesus, and they had witnessed the thieves on either side being nailed to a cross being crucified, hanging there for hours, and they died. This, this was not a happy, fun, lively experience. We've all been a part of those experiences. This was not that. You know, years ago in some of the early years of youth ministry, we, well, I'll just come out and say it. We duct taped some students to a wall. Maybe one of the most fun games we've ever done. I will mention this. We got permission from the parents beforehand. I will mention this. The parents seemed a little too eager <laughs> to give us permission. I feel we might have had parents uh, arguing over whose kids got to be duct taped to the wall. But we did. Uh, we, now, we took some junior hires. We had a boy and a girl. And we stood them on a chair next to and in front of a block wall. So we had them stand on the chair, stretch their arms out, took a roll or two of duct tape, got the, the guys around the guy and the girls around the girl, and they'd stretch it out, cut it, tape, stretch it out, cut it, tape, arms, body, legs. 
After five, ten minutes, they used the, the duct tape. We pulled the chair out. They stuck to the block wall. Now, they hung there. I mean, I, this a game I forget how I'd come across it, but it sounded cool. I thought, let's run with it after permission. I thought maybe they last there a couple of minutes, and then they kind of start to fall, and they'd fall off, and we'd have to kind of catch them. Man, they stuck. Five, 10, 15, 20, might have been a half an hour, and finally we just said, we got to call this game. we got a service to have. I think we awarded a winner based on who slid or, you know, fell least. I mean, they didn't move very much. But that atmosphere, I mean, it was kind of fun. You've got these people duct taped to a wall. You've got music going. We've got kids cheering. You know, we've got uh, the boy and the girl who's duct taped to the wall. They're laughing and giggling. I mean, it's, can you believe I'm duct taped to a wall? Somebody get pictures of me. We've got pictures. That was not the atmosphere of Jesus. Not duct taped to the wall. Nailed to the cross. This wasn't music and laughter and joking taking place. This was a crucifixion where the crowd was yelling, crucify, crucify. Where the crown of thorns had been beaten into his head. He had been whipped bloodied, bruised, mocked, then nailed, and then the spear through his side. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? To be hanging literally from those points, and yet trying to breathe. You would slouch down, but if you're slouched down, you can't breathe. The only way to breathe is to get your body up. The only way to get your body up is to push on your feet, which are indeed nailed to the cross. Every single action he was taking was excruciating. His back was literally flesh open because of all the whippings. And that's rubbing on the wooden cross. So as he sags to try to take a breath, his back is rubbing up against the wood. As he then pushes up on his feet, it's pain shooting through his feet and rubbing up against his back as he tries to gasp to take the breath to slouch back down. And he's between two thieves going through the exact same thing. Why might these women have been a little fearful? They'd just taken part just a couple days earlier in experiencing and witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The Bible also says that they went this first day of the week very early in the morning. They're on their way to the tomb where a dead man is buried very early in the morning. Let me just put it out there. How many of you want to take a field trip to a funeral home 5 o'clock in the morning? I don't see any hands. Yet, this is what they were doing. I mean, when it comes to being safe and secure, how many of you know even our homes make noises? How many of you don't like to be home alone because you hear noises and creaks and cracks? Or 
You don't want to go someplace you've never been late at night. I mean, we like to be safe and secure. Uh, one day, just a week or two ago, I took the girls to school, and, and I, I needed to run back to the house either to grab something or, or change it or get something. And I normally always call Kim before I'm on my way. I'm thinking, ah, just a couple minutes away, I'll just drop right in. So I put the little buzzer for the garage door open, and the garage door goes up. And I go to the, the door from the garage into the house, and, well, it's locked. I know she always locks it, so I get my key out, and I unlock it. And as soon as I'm walking in, I'm saying, Kim, it's me, hello. I don't want her to be scared or fearful, right? So I'm walking through the kitchen and, and walking through the hallway, Kim, hello. And I, and I hear the television and I hear the hairdryer. So I'm thinking, I'm going to just tell her I'm here because the, the door's shut to the bedroom. So I'm like, Kim, Kim, Kim. And I try to open the door. She's locked the bedroom door, too. <laughs> so the front door's locked, the back door's locked, the garage door's locked, the garage door's down, and the bedroom door's locked. So I don't want to bang on the door because that would probably scare her. So I'm saying, Kim, Kim, and she didn't hear me. So I pull out my cell phone. We're about 15 feet away. And I pull out my cell phone and say, hey, it's me. I'm outside the bedroom door. Can you let me in? You've probably done something similar. We, we don't like scary, fearful things. And yet here's a group of women early in the morning, and they're going to go to a tomb where a dead body is, and it's dark out. That would be another reason to maybe not be so just positive about things, to be fearful. So they've got these questions, and they're wondering, who's going to roll the stone away when we get there? How are we going to be able to do this? And they get there, and the stone's rolled away. Well, that's maybe a little eerie. So what do they then do? What does the Word of God says they do? They walked inside. It's early in the morning. It's dark in the morning. They've witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and they're going to walk inside a tomb where there's supposed to be a dead person. But there is no dead person. There is no body. Instead, what do they see? A young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. <laughs> they see an angel. How many of you would be a little weirded out, a little fearful, right? See, when it comes to Easter, know that God calms our fears. We face a lot of different fears in today's day and age. We've got fears from our past, fears that we face in our present. We've got fears about our future, fears when it comes to our physical bodies, fears when it comes to our financial situations, fears when it comes to our relationships, fears when it comes to our families, fears when it comes to our, our, our nation or our economy or our world and some of the, the things that we're seeing and hearing. We face a lot of different fears in this day and in this time. If you don't have any fears, I'd be glad to help you find some. I'm sure there's plenty of people here willing to give you a few of theirs. We face fears. But here's the hope of Easter. The angel's about to make an announcement to them that echoes through eternity in these 2,000 plus years since then. 
Verse 6, the angel said, Don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. That's good news. It's the hope of Easter. I was reading about the one church play, and they had one of the little boys who was you know, supposed to be the angel, and, and his line was basically this. He is not here. He has risen. You know, so sometimes kids do. They kind of draw blanks. They kind of draw blanks. And then all of a sudden, something comes to him. And so he just blurts it out. He says, he is not here. He's in prison. <laughs> it kind of sounds the same. It kind of rhymes. But no, he is not here. He has risen. He's alive. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He is alive. And the angel said, see the place where they laid him. God, through the angel, sought to calm their fears. Now, what the angel said, it's the first thing that many angels say as we read in the word of God. Don't be alarmed or fear not. Or in, in today's language, they might say, don't freak out. Don't worry. One of the first things the angels would say is, don't worry about this. Fear not. God's going to calm your fears. God gives us his word, his truth in the midst of despair. He says, Jesus is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. The angel was speaking about the power of God in raising Jesus Christ to life. It's comforting when you find someone powerful. For little ones, for, for kids and for grandkids, there's, there's that comfort there's that strength, that support that says, my mommy, my daddy loves me. My daddy can do anything, right? It was, it was funny. It, when the girls were younger. I think it was Autumn who had said this. I just fixed some kind of little toy or something, and, and she was so happy, and she said, my daddy can fix anything. I thought, boy, I need that on tape. She doesn't know how wrong she is. <laughs> Fixing toys, yes. Stuff around the house, cars, no. But it, there's that thought. There's, there's something about dads and love and strength and support and moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. And there's, there's that strength. There's that power. There's... There's something about whether it's even just the hands. I remember as a boy, just the strength and the power of my dad's hand. He had a hairy hand. I'm not there yet. But there's something about dad's hands. And there was comfort and there was peace and there was strength and there was power being in his hands. And that's, in effect, what God is speaking to us through the angel to the women in Mark chapter 16, but wanting you and I to learn and, and be encouraged by this this morning. God's power, God's presence 
are readily available for you and for me. Are there things that we face that we can be fearful about? Yeah. Maybe you've gotten some news the last week, the last month, the last year, and it's not been so good for you physically, for a family member, for a friend. Maybe things financially have been tight. Maybe relationally, things have kind of been a little rocky here and there. I don't know all that you've faced, but I'm positive you've faced some challenging things, some fearful things. And part of the hope of Easter is that God's able to calm our fears. See, with the women, they encountered the hope of Easter and that God answered their questions. Their question about the stone being rolled away, God answered. The fears that they might have had in coming to this tomb at this time, in this situation, meeting the angel, God sought to calm and answer their prayers, calm their fears through his power and his presence. Finally, this morning, I want to share with you that the hope of Easter is this God forgives our failures. See, Easter is a powerful holiday. It's for each and every one of us who have ever messed up. You ever messed up? You did something wrong? Said something you shouldn't have? Didn't say something you should have? Did something you shouldn't have? Didn't do something you should have? We could go on and on and on. And we would probably say, how much time you got? Because, man, I have messed up. I was, I was telling you about uh, Autumn's little quote years ago. It was a little, little girl. My daddy can fix anything. Because I, I remember some of the other things I didn't fix very well. Trying to hang this little cabinet in the, the bathroom of our first apartment. And drilling hole after hole after hole after hole trying to hit a stud. I mean, that, that wall was looking like Swiss cheese by the time I got done and found them. I got it hung. Getting ready for Autumn's birth. Installing some new doors and brand new doors needed some new doorknobs. And well, I found out you had to buy a chisel and chisel it out to be able to put the plate on. So I bought a brand new, hint, super sharp, chisel and i'm trying to follow instructions and follow directions to to chisel out the notch to place the the face plate of the door on for the doorknob to go into so i'm trying to hold the door still hold the chisel strike it with a hammer and get it in the right spot well i ended up doing one or two of those things correctly just not all three I held the door, didn't quite hold the chisel in the right spot, although I hit the chisel awful good. I was really good at hitting that chisel. The chisel, instead of carving out the place in the door, sought to carve out some spots in my fingers. Trip to the emergency room. Stitches. Made another trip to the emergency room when Brooklyn was about to be born. Kimmy was so sick, and I'm trying to take care of her, and she's eating apples and she's eating 
bread and just bland stuff. She just was not able to, to keep food down. She was on uh, this, this pump that would pump her full of medicine to try to calm her, her stomach and hyperemesis. So I was, I was coring an apple for her as a husband would try to do to take care of her. And, and so I, I put the core on top of the apple and placed it down, except I'd, I'd grabbed a little saucer instead of a flat plate. You know, the, the saucer is rounded up on the ends. So you, you go down with the core, and, and the core didn't go all the way down. So now I, I picked up the, the core. Brilliant me starts pushing the apples through from the bottom. Well, I got a few of them until my fingers hit the sharp knife blades on the bottom, sliced my fingers again, ended up in the ER again, stitches again. Have I messed up? You bet. Have I failed? You bet. And it's more than just a trying to fix stuff. See, the Bible says we have all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have all failed. We're not able to Live and be perfect in God's sight, in God's presence. Now, the stuff we do might be different, but I've failed along with each and every one of us in this room. And so we're about to see the inclusion of a man by the name of Peter, one of the disciples. We're about to get there. Verse 7 mentions his name, but what do we remember about Peter? We remember a, a pretty bad failure. Remember in the process, right before Jesus was crucified, Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he spoke to Peter, and, and he prophesied. He said that Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter, oh, he denied it. He said, no way would I ever do that. I'd give my life for you. I'd die for you before denying you. If you remember seeing how that played out, he did exactly that. Peter, who had been in the presence of Jesus for years, Peter, who had seen him and heard him teach and preach and do miracles, Peter, who was there when Jesus was transfigured in all of his glory, Jesus, who was in the room when he raised Jairus' daughter up from the dead, Peter, who was one of the 12, and in fact, he was on the short list, the inner circle of the three. We say Peter, James, and John. He was one of those closest of three of the 12. I mean, Peter was involved in all of these things. That same Peter, in fact, denied Jesus three times by saying, I don't know him. No, I'm not one of him. No, and even the Bible says, with a curse, he said, I don't know the man. Three times, he denied knowing Jesus. God's word says at that point, Jesus turned and looked to Peter. The rooster crowed. And it says that Peter went out and wept. This isn't just a, a tearful sniffle. I mean, this, this has got to be deep, innermost being kind of weep to think about and to understand the fact that I let Jesus down. Those are the, those are the last words he's going to see or hear from me. I don't know the man. 
and he looks at me, and now he was crucified, he's dead. That's what Peter's going through. You and I, maybe we have some similar thoughts or things that we feel like we're done. We feel like we're finished. We feel like we have messed up so bad, there's just no way I could ever get a brand new start. It's probably how Peter was feeling right about now. But read with me, Mark chapter 16, verse 7. The women have come to the tomb. The women who have seen God answer their questions, the women who have seen God calm their fears, get connected to this angel, Here's what the angel says in verse 7. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. If you blinked, you might have missed it. Two powerful words of hope this Easter. And Peter. Not just tell his disciples he made a special point. God, through this angel, made a special point to communicate. Make sure Peter knows. He is forgiven. Failures can be forgiven. Don't let the failure of our past, the sins of our past, affect the potential of our future, what God wants to do in and through us. By including Peter in this message of hope, by including Peter in this story of the resurrection, he's including hope for you and for me. Why? Because we have failed. We've messed up. We've done wrong. There's no failure that can separate us from the love of God and the power of God. His love is based on grace. It's not based on our merit. We can't earn it. We can't pay for it. We can't do enough good things for it. God didn't say, well, you blew it, Peter. You're done. He didn't say, you blew it, Peter. If you could do these 100 good things, eh, maybe I'll think about it. The indication was, Peter, you are forgiven. And he came face to face with a risen Savior later in the Gospels. We can't earn God's grace he gives it. It's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We simply receive it. And our failure doesn't remove us from the possibility of being used for his honor and for his glory. I mean, we think when we mess up, that's it. We're done. We're through. And we see examples of that many times in in modern days, whether it's with celebrities or sports stars, musicians, politicians, many times when something bad happens, it's hard for them to rebound because their brand, because their thought, because this, just this perception of this person, they're so defined by that event, that's all you can think about. When you Google their name, you get this, and you just can't come back from that. So we think that about ourselves. We think, man, when I've, if I've messed up, if I've done wrong, there's no hope for me. The hope of Easter is that God forgives 
our failures. We see, in fact, God used Peter in a mighty and in a powerful way. The book of Acts tells the story of of the disciples, of the apostles, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And as they began to roam and teach and preach, it was Peter who preached on the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people got saved. God used Peter in an incredible fashion in spite of his failures. God forgives our failures. See, part of the good news and part of this hope of Easter, God is faithful to keep his promises. That last phrase in verse 7, the angel said, you will see him just as he told you. He's going to follow through. He makes and he keeps his promises. See, Easter is what happens when that perfect and risen Savior come into contact with imperfect people like you and I. The good news is that the risen Savior offers eternal life, offers forgiveness, offers hope for each and every one of us, no matter how badly we might have failed, messed up, sinned. We've got to personally respond and receive that message of hope, receive that forgiveness from him. If we turn to him, turn from our sins and turn to God, ask him to cleanse and forgive, he will. That's part of the incredible hope of Easter. A risen Savior who answers our questions, calms our fears, and forgives our failures. 